again to the Glean Podcast, fastest hour of the week, and I trust everyone's had a blessed week so far. Many of you that live uh, here in North Carolina have had a very wet week, <laughs> but um, at nonetheless, I uh, hope you've had a blessed week. And we're uh, going to get into a topic tonight. Many of you are probably familiar with uh, with this, we're going to talk about something, and you've probably already heard this uh, segment, but it's from Paul Harvey, and he recorded this back in 1965 on air on the radio. You, many of you know he used to do uh, a, a little show, and it was called The Rest of the Story, and uh, I got caught up watching a bunch of those clips today as I was uh, researching some of this, but um, he wrote this or done this uh commentary back in 1965 and it's called if i were the devil and i had heard it throughout the years different people have played it talking about different things um but here recently it has really gained a lot of traction in the last year or two you begin to hear it again people are playing it um, but even this past week, uh, Joe Rogan, many of you may be familiar with his podcast. He come out and was talking about it, um, and it, it blew him away. He had never heard it, which it surprised me that he hadn't. But he had never heard this, and he said that if he didn't know it was a pre-recorded, you know, live recording, that he would have not believed that that was him. Uh, saying this because it is so accurate and on point with what we're living in now, what we're seeing in today's society. You know, uh, Josh and I were just talking, you know, we've had so many things uh, this just this year have started coming to pass with uh, we've had major earthquakes in Japan, California, D.C., uh, New York. Uh, we've had these crazy, crazy storms. You've got farmers revolting by the hundreds of thousands in Germany uh, against their government. Uh, there's top officials from governments resigning. Sweden, their government, just told their people to stock up on food and prepare for war. Um, you know, there's panic going on everywhere. Epstein uh, flight log and client list, just, uh, just the tip of it was uh, exposed, released. Many elites, some of you may have remembered a few weeks ago, uh, Aaron Rodgers, former quarterback for Green Bay, had called out Jimmy Kimmel um, about being on Epstein's flight list. And Jimmy Kimmel come back and on this all happened on X. But he come out and said, well, you know, you've caused m m me and my family, uh, you've put us in danger or harm. And if you want to say these things about me again or accuse me, we can discuss it in court. You know, a week later, Jimmy Kimmel is uh, identified as a person who flew on the Lolita Express, which is Jeffrey Epstein's plane that flew from here to Epstein Island, where they done uh, grotesque, uh, you know, I, I can't even get into that, what things they did to the children. But all of these things are beginning to be exposed. You had this crazy stuff going on at the mall in Miami, uh, where, you know, 200 plus cops now they are reporting, uh, all descended on the mall in Miami. They shut down the airspace over the mall of Miami and the Miami airport. 
for I think about two hours. It was a they shut down an airspace about a twenty mile radius, I believe it was. Um, you know, and they come back. You, you know, you didn't hear this on a lot of the mainstream media, but even if you did, they reported it as um, two groups of teen gangs fighting with sticks and fireworks. Well, you know. I don't know if the media and the government thinks that the majority of of us are that naive and stupid, but you don't send 200-plus cops, shut down an airspace for 20-mile radius for about two or three hours um, for two teen gangs. I mean, you know, um, there's so many things are going on right now and happening. Uh, the Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish group... Uh, their synagogue in New York was just raided. Uh, they found underground tunnels um, that went through the city of New York. Now, they come out and said that they had dug these tunnels back when uh, the shutdowns were going on so that they could get to church without being fined or arrested. Uh, but, you know, you can look at the tunnels. They've been there for a long time. They had mattresses on them which the mattresses they took out had stains on them. Um, they're sending them off to forensics to be tested. But there's so many things being exposed. I, I feel like, you know, over the past few years, little drips of things have been coming out. But now it's almost like they've just turned the faucets on wide open. And every day when you wake up, there's something new being exposed, something new being released, uh, you know, we still have the things going on in the southern border. Um, you know, there's just so many different things going on, but yet the government wants to get on national TV. The news media wants to say it off of national TV that, that everything's going great and everything's going good and inflation is down and prices are down and employment is up. But the average American knows that that's not true because we're out here and we see what's going on. So with all of these things happening, I, Josh and I were talking and we thought it would be good to, to play. We're going to play this clip of Paul Harvey. Um, it is the original recording of when he, he aired this. Um, it's a little over three minutes long and we're going to listen to that. But then we're going to go back through it and I want to show you um, how accurate some of these things are and how that this lines up and what the devil's wanting to do is the exact opposite of what God's word says and show you how these, these parallel with this whole speech that Paul Harvey made about if I were the devil. So go ahead and take a listen. If I were the devil... If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, 
which aren't in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Now, you, you can look at this, or as you listen to this, and some of you, like I said earlier, I know some of you've heard this before, but listening to it again, how accurate, I mean, on point, 100%, 1,000% accurate and correct was Paul Harvey in 1965 talking about 2024, 2023, 2024, where we're living at today. It is absolutely mind-boggling. You know, it, it's it's almost like you you want to say, did did Paul Harvey have a a visitation? Did did Paul Harvey have a vision where he could see the future? But I think even people then knew what direction our country would go, uh, because even back then we were in a trajectory of turning away from God. But in this. Uh, this uh, speech that he gives here, he starts out, and we're going to look at the first first paragraph here, and he says, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I would want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I would have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. Now, notice in that first part, he says, 
if I were the prince of darkness, which we all know Satan, he said, I would engulf the whole world in darkness. And we know according to Isaiah 60, I believe verse 2 and 3 there, he says that Isaiah said, darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the people. And I know some of you have heard me say this before, but, you know, all these years I've heard that scripture and I, I never fully understood the the weight of what and how accurate that even that scripture was, Isaiah 60, where I, I understood darkness, but I never fully understood what he was saying would gross darkness the people. But when you begin to look at our society and how much we've shifted away from the word of God, we've shifted away from the common good from our, our moral standards. We don't even have a moral standard anymore. Uh, that our, the people themselves have grown gross darkness. I mean, you know, it, they're dark in their thoughts and gross in their actions. Um, you know, the things that we're finding out that they're wanted that Hollywood and all these elites do to children, to pedophilia, that uh, that goes on right under our noses. These things, the symbolism that they have going on, you know, that these things are gross. And I don't even really think the word gross can adequately describe the things that they want to do. The mutilation of, of, of body parts because they want to confuse you to don't, not know what gender you are. So when the Bible says darkness would cover the earth, we see that, but gross darkness, the people, we can see that so much. And, you know, that was the first scripture that, that really popped up in my mind as soon as I began to read this, that that has happened. Darkness has engulfed the earth and gross darkness has engulfed the people, you know. And then he goes on, and Josh had some good uh, statistics here about uh, where it said, I would have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. Listen to how many people that is. Go ahead. Talk about that, Josh. Yeah, so population statistics. I just saw this on the news coming in this evening. and said it was like 8.1 billion people. <clears throat> and if you did just do the small math of four-fifths of the population, that would be 6.4 billion people with a B. Mm. It's pretty alarming and and intrinsic to to what's going on and again this is what the what satan would do or would want yeah and you know when you begin to look at those things you realize that you know that's how far from god america has gotten um you know but then this other part here at the end where he said but i wouldn't be happy until i had seized the ripest apple on the tree thee. That's where Satan's not satisfied till he's got you. And, you know, when I read that, the first thing that came to my mind was, uh, you know, Luke chapter 22 around verse 31, where Jesus looked at Simon and he said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you or desired you that he may sift you as wheat. Now we know um, when you understand Hebrew and Greek writing, more so in the Greek writing, 
when they were trying to put emphasis on something, they would write the word twice. So, you know, scriptures that, where he'd say, verily, verily, I say unto thee, Jesus didn't really say verily, verily. He put emphasis on the word verily. He, he put volume to it to, to get people to listen. So here he said, you know, he raised his voice, Simon, Satan has indeed desired you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, we know that he goes on in, in verse 32, and he says, But I have prayed that the Father keep thee when thou go thy way, strengthen thy brethren. And I've always read, read it and, and thought that he was just really talking about there at that moment for Simon to strengthen his brethren, the other disciples. But as I begin to read that scripture, I read it in the Amplified, the New American Standard, New English Standard, and there was one other I read. I can't, uh, that might have been the NIV. But anyway, um, it brung a, a little different light to this, but if you read it, I just pulled up the New English translation. And here, Luke 22, verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, pay attention. Satan has demanded to have you all, to sift you all like wheat. See, he wasn't just talking about Simon or, or Peter. You know, he was talking about everybody from that point on, all of mankind. Satan has desired to sift us as wheat, to destroy us so that we cannot worship our creator. So we see how awesome or how accurate this is the what paul harvey is saying here you know satan wants us but thank god he sent his son he made a provision for us an escape a way out of this destruction the sad part is is there's so many people around the world that have denied god that's turned away from god and you know um, I believe in these last days we're going to have this great outpouring of his spirit upon us. You know, it talks about that in the book of Joel. But I believe we're going to see that soon, and I believe that we're going to see a great influx of people coming back to Christ, crying out, because they're going to realize that the sin they thought is uh, fun and that's the way to live they're going to realize those wages, it's, it's going to be payday. Those wages are due to be paid, and they're going to run from that. And the only thing they can do is run to Jesus because once they accept Jesus, their wages have been paid. That bill to Satan has already been paid when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Then he goes on and he said, I would set about however necessary to take over the United States. And I, when I thought about this, why is the United States such a threat versus any other country? And I'm not saying that Satan has not attacked any other country because he attacks all mankind everywhere because he don't like any of us. But why America? Why, why did he set out so much to take over the United States it's because there's no other nation risen to the prominence or the kind of power that the United States did being a young nation like we were at the time. But not only that, we are, we've been for years the most powerful, 
strongest nation there is in the world. But more importantly, there's no other nation has funded the gospel of Jesus Christ to other nations. None of them. You could add all other nations together and take all their amounts and percentages, add them all together in one, and they still are less than half, maybe not even a quarter of what the U.S., the United States does to spread the gospel all over the world. And I believe that's one of the reasons that Satan has had his eye so strongly on the United States of America. Then Paul Harvey went on and he said, if I were Satan or if I was the devil, I would subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers with the wisdom of a serpent. I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. And when you begin to look at the church, I would say from probably beginning in the 80s, it, I, I'm sure it happened in small percentages. You know, I, I mean, even in the book of Acts, after the church was established, there began to be divisions and, and uh, different kind of issues going on. Sin crept right into the church. But in the United States, we have begun to see this drastic switch to where now we have, you know, these these spineless, uh, limp-wristed preachers that won't preach the Word of God. They just preach a variation of it, just enough to make you feel good about yourself. It's more of a, uh, well, like a selfie gospel because it's all about me. It's all about what I'm doing. You know, and we we've lost that preacher that'll preach against sin. And, you know, when it says that I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. I begin to think about in Matthew, the 16th chapter, when you know this, the, the story here where Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And, you know, they had that response. And then he turned and said, but who do you say that I am? And without getting into a whole preaching sermon, because I could on that just that one statement, but when he asked that, that's when Simon at that moment, he was still Simon, said, you're Christ, the son of the living God. And that's when his name changed to Peter. And he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. It's upon that rock that, that, you know, the, we, we understand who Jesus is. So no matter what happens, even though he's come in and he's subverted the church, he's put in these, these campaign whispers like he's talking about here, and we've seen a lot of church become more of a social club, a user-friendly type church. You know, we've preached, we've went from preaching, come just as you are, and Jesus will change you to come just as you are and stay that way. As long as you accept Jesus, you can continue to live like you are. You're just getting to get out of jail free card. All of these things have begun to get into the church, and we've seen scandal after scandal after scandal, um, you know, whether it be with money, whether it be with sex, uh, with, you know, prostitutes, whether it be just affairs or whether it's sex with, you know, uh, children. Uh, then there's been homosexual affairs and things go on. 
All of these things were sent in to destroy or subvert the church. But Jesus said in Matthew 16 that the gates of hell shall not prevail. It may destroy some churches, and I believe it will because some of these churches that have went towards this woke ideology, this woke agenda, more about we need to do what the government says instead of what the Word of God says, these churches will be destroyed and rightfully need to be destroyed. Um, but the good news is the gates of hell will not prevail. And, you know, as long as it's a church that preaches the word of God and stands for what is right, according to scripture, Satan cannot destroy what God has built. And then, you know, the phrase there that says, do as you please, I, w I begin to think on scriptures there, you know, and in Luke 22, uh, on over towards the end of the chapter, Jesus is praying in the garden. And, you know, Jesus knows what's fixing to happen to him. He knows the burden and, and what he's fixed to have to take upon himself. And, you know, it said that he sweat drops of blood as he was praying and at, when he was in the garden. But his prayer was, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, let it be, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours, which is in heaven. So you see, Satan wants you to have this mentality or this idea, even in the church, that we can do as we please. It's what, what do we want? It's all about us, self-will, self-help. Everything's about me and what I have to deal with, what I like, instead of us taking our flesh and crucifying it just like Jesus was fixing to do, he was preparing to do, crucifying his flesh. We're crucifying our flesh so that it's not our will be done, but the Father's which is in heaven. So you can see here how even though Paul Harvey was, was talking about what's coming, we can see this, how this plays out in the Bible and how through Scripture we can see that we've already been warned, there's already been provision made for us, and there's already been ways of escape made for us so that we can come through this victorious in the things of God. Then he went on and he said to the young, he said, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. And I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is, well, square. And we see this now that this it has been created throughout the especially the last twenty years. I know as these children graduate high school, and I believe it even begins to happen from kindergarten. But by the time they get to college, we have professors that have all these degrees, so we're taught, and we have this mindset. It it we're we're convinced of this because of our schooling that these professor professors are very educated and they're super smart so whatever comes out of their mouth has to be right they're the teacher we're the learners we're the student so if we have to learn what they say in order to pass our classes and our, our to earn our degrees so we can go make a living and a lot of these professors and it was, it's all been done intentionally. I mean, from way back, 
they begin to implant professors that are atheistic, you know, don't believe in God, and they'll spend most of their time in their lectures telling these kids and, and manipulating and transforming their minds to believing that that God or the Bible is a myth, that they're, you know, that these are just old fables and stories that were written, but none of it makes any sense. And I've seen this happen time and time again with kids that were the same age as mine that left the high school uh, setting and, you know, went off to four-year college um, and or university and come back and, you know, totally mind transformed into believing they're more into an atheist mindset and belief now than they were before they left. And, uh, you know, this is all part of how Satan works, you know, because he said in before he would come in as a serpent, they're sneaky. They slid, you can't hear them. And that's how these professors have slid in. Nobody's paid it attention. Nobody's checked up on it. And that's the things that have begun to happen. And, you know, uh, that Yuval Harari, which is, um, uh, I can't remember. I'll think of it in a little bit. But um, Yuval Harari has come on the scene uh, very recently, become more well-known people. A few more people have heard about him. I've talked about him a few times. But concerning AI, he's talked about how the Bible is more... Uh, a, a book with good stories, but that with AI, we could go in and rewrite the Bible and correct some of the falsehoods that are taught in that book. So, you know, he's trying to get it to where people have the mindset that we have created God instead of God creating us. And then he, he went on to say, I would confide that what is bad is good and what is good is, is square. And we, we see that, and, and you, when he said the word square there, that talks about uh, no longer relevant, boring, mundane, unnecessary. You know, um, it, you know, you hear, well, it's time to get on with the times and move on. And, you know, we've seen that happen uh, with, with what's going on in our societies by what the media portrays, what's on our TV screens, which we'll, we'll get into here in just a few minutes. Um, but you can see how everything has begun to shift and, and things that we would have never dreamed of. I mean, think about um, your great-grandparents or your grandparents that, you know, have, have, have died and went on to be with, with Jesus, what would they do if they could come back right now and see where our society is? A lot of us think how convenient everything is, how awesome things are. It's, oh, it's so nice. But think about how different it would be for someone like that to see how far we've slid into the wrong direction with our uh, the way we handle uh, bad issues versus good uh, moral issues, things like that, and the depravity that has crept into our society. You know, I think most of them would probably be like, uh, let's uh, put me back in the grave. I don't want to see this. So, you know, these things Paul Harvey was seeing back in 1965, but now in 2024, we're actually seeing every bit of this come to pass. 
And then he went on and he said, and the old I would teach to pray after me, our father, which art in Washington. How many senior citizens or people with retirements have to depend on the government to survive? You know, I know a lot of elderly people now that, that have to work because their, their retirement is not enough. Their social security is, is not enough. So they have to work, but they have to depend on the government. And, you know, you're taxed in, you're taxed on your money multiple times, even though the Constitution uh, talks about, you know, there's, you, we can't have double taxation or anything like that. But yet we see how many times we're taxed on our money to the point that it dwindles down and you don't have hardly any. And, you know, it, it costs so much to live now that we're, we're, having, we're seeing people, they're getting us to what we have to depend on the government. You know, uh, waiting on my government check. I, I can't go without the government. And that's what they want because if the government can control your money, your government can control you. And I know some people say, oh, no, they can't. Yeah, when you get hungry because you don't have any money, and the government says, here, I'll feed you and your family. but you And they say, but you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z and sign here on the dotted line, and then we'll make sure you're fed. Desperate times, people get desperate. You know, desperate times create desperate people. And that's why I think it's so important to make sure that, uh, one, you're saved. Number two, that you're a tither. And number three, that you're a giver. Because when you have those three in connection and in succession, God says, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. <coughs> well, you have to be saved to have that, that window poured out, but you also have to be a tither. That's what opens the window and the giving, and that's what pushes out those blessings. Jesus is our, our redeemer. He's given us access to all good things that come from heaven. So we don't have to depend on Washington. We're not going to depend on Washington. They're not our source. You know, God is our source. So we, we don't have to be afraid of that, but there may be some watching online right now and they may watch this and say, you know, I, you don't understand. I have to depend on the government. Well, you need to make sure you're tithing and make sure you're a giver and get connected into the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom finances and according to the scripture, he says, my God shall supply all of my need, not Washington, my God, shall supply all of my need, not according to the government's riches, but according to his riches in heaven. So don't worry about Washington. Don't depend on them. Trust in God. But we can see that they're pushing us more and more to be dependent on the government. They want to tell us how to spend our money, what kind of vehicles to drive. You know, they've come out the big uh, electric vehicle, EV push, you know, uh, because they've, you know, most of us have grown up understanding when we talk about crude oil or our gas that it's been called what? Fossil fuels. Every one of us, that's what we're taught from kindergarten, from grade school, all the way through, we've, it's referred to as fossil fuels. When in reality, it's not fossil fuels. 
I mean, think about it. There wasn't billions and billions of dinosaurs. So if it was really fossil fuels, we would already be out. But I, 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 I listened to this uh, scientist or a, uh, I don't, I can't remember. Uh, I can't, I ain't, I'm going to mess it up. But this guy specifically said that crude oil, the oil that comes out of the ground naturally, is, is as plentiful as the water is in the oceans and in the seas and that it replenishes itself just like the water does. It is a natural resource and that we're not going to run out of it. But you see, if they can control the oil, then they can control the world because that's where the money is. That's where they make their money. So they push these EV cars, you know, and you have to charge them and I ain't going to get into all the different chargers and versus what kind of charger, how long it's going to take to charge. And, you know, there was a guy that bought a uh, Chevy, I think it's called a Volt. I don't remember, but he paid like 20-something thousand dollars for the car, got his tax credit, drove it for four years, and then took it to the dealership to replace the batteries. To replace the batteries on that vehicle was $32,000. You know, so there's just a whole lot there. Maybe we'll do a, a podcast on that sometime. But Washington, want, the government wants to control us in every area of our life and that's why i believe that paul harvey seen that coming even back in 1965 so moving on he said and then i'd get organized i'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting i'd threaten tv with dirtier movies and vice versa now i think you know, when you look at these things, you know, I think this is where you begin to see how literature has changed and even more so than literature, because I don't believe a lot of people, vast majority of people don't even read anymore. Uh, if you, I mean, somebody writes a book and if you, the book makes it, you can just buy it on audible and listen to it, you know, so they have audio books. So most people, are more into what they're hearing and what they're seeing with their eyes. And, you know, in the eighties, I mean, you couldn't, I mean, there was hardly any, any kind of, uh, well, there wasn't any nudity. They might've insinuated towards a sexual situation, but you didn't see any of that to where now, even on regular TV, Look at what it is on the shows you watch, what you begin to see now. You know, so TV's gotten dirtier. Movies have gotten dirtier. One's just as bad as the other. You know, used to on regular TV, you couldn't hear a cuss word. And then if the movie had a lot of cussing, it had to be a PG-13 movie. If it had nudity in it, it was an R-rated movie or killing. But now you can even see those things on regular TV or in a PG movie in these settings. So all of these things have changed. And when you see all of these things happen, you, you can look back and you say, oh, well, that's why our society is like it is because TV and movies. And, you know, one of the things I think where this has been key is that majority of time 
back, you know, years ago, the man worked and the man made enough of an income to provide for the wife and or for the home. So the wife could stay at home and do, you know, chores around the house and raise the children while the husband worked. The government seen that and the government seen an opportunity in Hollywood, I believe, uh, CIA, if we put inflation in place and we raise prices on things and make everything expensive, we'll force the parents both to have to work with it, to bring home income enough to provide for the family. So what happens there is now both parents are working, so who's babysitting or raising the children? TVs and movies. You know, and after-school programs, they're showing TVs and movies, and they're watching these movies, and the parents are too busy to realize what they're being, what these kids are watching or being taught. And some of it's even so slippery and slid in that even parents don't catch it. So all of these things are happening now, and we see this like crazy. Um, one of the newest kid shows, uh, what do you remember? What is that? Coco something? Coco Melon. Coco Melon. Uh, it's something about what, a little baby that dances in front of its the, uh, the baby's gay dads. Now, this is a cartoon for after-school kids or little kids to watch. You're watching a little baby dance in front of two gay men. It's a baby boy dancing in front of two gay men. These kind of things are supposed to be commonplace and cute and, oh, this is diversity and, you know, that we've got to get uh, everybody used to this. No, we don't. These things are an abomination, and we cannot let our children watch these things. We have to stand against them. We have to fight against these things. Because this is what's, if we don't stop it now, what will our society look like in another 10 years? <laughs> Think about that, Josh. I mean, in the last five years, look how drastic our society's changed. What will it look like if we don't begin to stand up as Christians? What is it going to look like in the next 10? Yeah, it's going to be scary. I mean, you know, and I've had young people to even talk about how that, you know, they're scared the ones that are wanting to get married, they're scared not to get married, but to bring children into the world because of what's going on. But I've encouraged them, look, you know, you're saved. You trust God. You keep having kids. We're going we're gonna to bring up new, new Christians and new believers, and Satan can't have them. We refuse to let him have them, you know. But these things are happening. Then he went on, and this is one that's very, very, prevalent right now, but he said that he would peddle narcotics to whom uh, I could. He said, I would sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction, and I would tranquilize the rest with pills. You know, drugs is spewing across our southern border uh, by the thousands of truckloads of heroin and and fentanyl and all that coming across our border, being distributed out to all the cities because they're wanting people hooked on these drugs because once you get hooked on them, unless God himself intervenes, you're hooked. You, you're not coming off of them. And, you know, we see that happening. Then, you know, the whole thing with alcohol, you know, I can, I, I can remember when alcohol 
wasn't really thought of as uh, something that, you know, you, you had to be elite. But, you know, when you look at things now, they make it look like that if you, you are a lady and a gentleman of distinction, if you, you've arrived, you are somebody, then you'll, you'll have you a shot of whiskey or a shot of liquor or something like that. You know, I know uh, one of the shows I can remember, uh, Suits, that was a series that come on TV. Um, that was one of the big things with them. You know, they they were all uh, men and women of distinction. They were these top dog lawyers in the city of New York. And, you know, they wore the high-end suits and fancy dresses and went to all these big events. But even in their offices, they had high-dollar high bourbon and whiskey and things like that, and they would always sit around and have a drink, have a drink. So TV's portrayed it as if you are anybody uh, that has arrived or if you have any distinction, then, then you need to have alcohol. You know, and then when you look at, you know, pills and how many people's on medications and, uh, you know, ADHD and ADD and all these other things. And again, if you're watching and you suffer from that, I'm not, I'm not downplaying the issues that you have. What I have a problem with is how the medical society, how our doctors and pharmaceuticals are treating these uh, problems that you're having because all they're doing is masking the symptoms. They're not dealing with the issue, you know, so we see all of these things happening and, and, you know, how many people have started taking a pill and, well, if you take this pill, it'll take care of the problem, but you're going to have to be on it the rest of your life. Once you start it, you cannot stop it, you know. So they're getting us tranquilized with pills, you know, and one thing I think is amazing is when we look at the word pharmaceutical, pharmacy, pharmacist, pharmaceutical, any of that, it comes from the word pharmakia, which also is the word witchcraft, you know. So, you know, we think of witch doctors and they take uh, frog legs and a uh, hair off of a goat and, uh, you know, a bat's toenail and they do all this stuff with berries and make up this potion and it's supposed to make you better. And we think, well, that's silly, but yet, we go to pharmacies and they put all this synthetic stuff together that's not even natural and put it in a capsule and tell us to take it three times a day with a glass of water and, and you know, take it on a, a full stomach and we fall for it hook, line, and sinker. Now, again, if you're on medicine, I'm not belittling you. And, you know, I had a, a little bit of a backache today. I took two Advil, you know. But my point is, we, we fuss about one thing and say, oh, that's terrible, and I'm not condoning witchcraft, but what I'm trying to get you to understand is we're saying that's bad, but yet these pharmacists, because they're in white coats and look normal like us, are putting all these synthetic drugs together, putting them in a capsule, tell us to take it because the doctor said take it, and we take it. So we've been tranquilized with pills. You know, these things are happening and then when you look at a lot of these commercials now that have uh, drugs on them they're selling, they spend the first three seconds telling you or five seconds what the drug will do for you. 
and then they spend the rest of a 30-second commercial or a minute-long commercial telling you why not to take it, and if you take it, what could happen to you. And most of everything that could happen to you is a lot worse than the problem you have for taking the medicine. So we see these things, you know, and that wasn't like that when Paul Harvey made this. So, I, you know, it's amazing how accurate he is into this day and time. And uh, then he went on and he said, if I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. Now, this is this here too is prophetic because the best way to destroy the church is to destroy the family. And that's what you begin to see. We've been seeing it happen is, you know, he, the world, the government, the world system, they've went in and destroyed the family. We have a mindset now that if you get married and have kids and then y'all just decide you don't like each other, you just separate. No biggie. We just, we just don't love each other no more, you know. You know, people fall in love, but they, they nobody. I've never had you. You don't. I just don't believe you. You can fall in love, but just overnight fall out of love. Well, no, it was a period of time. No, the problem was is you tried to fix your marriage and live your marriage according to the TV and Hollywood and the way the world says, and you never once done, uh, tried to apply the word of God to your marriage. You know, I think it's amazing that a lot of people want God at the wedding, but they want Satan at the reception. Well, we preacher, we we want you to marry us, and that you okay, I'll marry you. Count, and then they go to the reception, and they all wanting to get tore up from the floor up and drunk. I mean, it, they're just absolute, you know, hypocrisy and stupidity. Um, and then they wonder why their marriage don't work. It's like, well, once you invited Satan in, God left. You know, but that's the way the world wants families to do. They want us to fight. And when you destroy the family, they quit coming to church or one of them will quit coming to church. And it just begins to snowball until the families are tore up. And that begins to hurt the church. Or the world begins to entice families with other things in the name of, oh, we're spending family time or we're spending time with our children, but it's taking you out of God's house. And, you know, it doesn't matter how good it may seem or how awesome it may be. Anything that takes you out of God's house and your children out of God's house, your children will grow up thinking, I need to go to church, but if this comes up or that, it's okay. Now, again, I always have to say this because people go right off the left side with it and stupid. I'm not saying you can't miss church and that if you do, God's going to hit you in the head with a ball bat. You can miss for vacation and things like that. But what I'm trying to or if you're sick, there's nothing wrong with missing some church. But when you begin to intentionally put things over and over again in front of God and his house, it will affect your family. And it, most of you, you know, understand it's important. God's house is important. 
And then, you know, even with the families, if the families are coming, then we have churches at war over are tongues real or that church speaks in tongues. They're weird. This church don't speak in tongues. They're weird. This one does this, this one. So we have denominations fighting against each other instead of just going, okay, instead of us fighting, where can we find common ground? You know, I, I had done it. We took a stand here in our local county about drag shows and, you know, we had to meet with, uh, uh, they put a group of pastors together and me and maybe two others, maybe three were Pentecostal. The rest were Baptist or another denomination. But, you know, I, I remember I looked at them in a meeting and I said, guys, we all believe Christ and him crucified, right? They said, yep. I said, then everything else is irrelevant. That's where we come together in unity on. And that's what we build on. You know, let's not be at war about something else when this is why we're trying to, you know, make common ground here and and win this fight. So we see churches at war, nations. I mean, anytime you turn on the news, there's nations at war constantly, not only with each other, but within themselves. I mean, look in the United States. Racism had been at an all-time high thanks to Obama, um, you know, bring racism back. Uh, you've had the, the homosexuals against Christians. You've had abortion people that are pro-choice uh, uh, fighting against people that are pro-life. Constantly nation within themselves. And what happens is when you can't destroy something from the outside in, it's always better to destroy it from the inside out. And we have begun to see that in families, in churches, and in this nation. Those are the things that are going on. And then he went on and he said, you know, that when he would do these things, he said that it would promise higher ratings. And he said he'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flame. When's the last time you've got on a, a news channel and heard a good report or a good story about something positive? They're, they're not out there. They're fanning the flames of... Uh, Racism. They're fanning the flames of Democrat versus Republican. They're fanning the flames of all of these things because all of our media is pushed. It's always a narrative that is pushed to get the people of America to constantly be at each other's throat, uh, fighting and being in conflict, you know, constantly. And then he, he went on after that and he said, he said, if I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but not to neglect discipline of emotions. Just let those run wild until before you knew it, I'd have drug sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse and door. Now, I don't know of any school you can go in now. They're all in there. You know, metal detectors. Yep. Uh, you know. When we were in school, that we didn't have that. I mean, you just walk in and out. They didn't even lock the doors. You know, you just walk in and out of the schools. Now, I don't, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with security because you have, you know, all this chaos going on. Um, but who would have ever thought, in, you know, in school systems, it's supposed to be a safe haven for our children to learn and to have an education and be around their friends and learn to, to exist and work with other people and other races and, and all of that. But 
what happened was is they twisted our education system and then it's everybody has their own right to feel the way they want to feel. So we have to create all this and nobody can be disciplined. You know, I used to get my butt tore up in school. I got paddled, <laughs> you know, but you can't do anything like that now because you might warp their emotions and uh, warp their personality, you know, and you, you can't do that. And we see that now because that has happened. Now you see drug sniffing dogs in schools, metal detectors, doors are constantly locked. You have to get permission to go in. So we begin to see all of these things have happened. And then he said, within a decade, I would have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. We see these things now beginning to happen. Our prisons are constantly overfull, um, maxed out, you know, running over. And then we have actually seen judges rule in favor of porn sites and pornography and pedophilia, uh, things like we're seeing all of these things begin to happen, you know, on a daily basis. And then he went on and he said, soon I would evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress, which we have seen it leave the courthouses. You, know, you can't even put the Ten Commandments in there, but you can put a statue of a demon up, you know. Um, we've seen prayer leave the schools. We've seen God leave the school. You can't wear any kind of uh, T-shirt with uh, Christian or religious print on it. You can you can do Black Lives Matter or gay rights or fags or us or whatever you want to call it. You can wear all that stuff, but you cannot wear anything that has to do with the Word of God and Scripture. So we've seen all of that happen. And then, you know, he said and in his own church, he would substitute psychology for religion and defy science. You know, uh, we have seen these things happen uh, where I believe these are more seen in the churches that allow the government to control them. You know, we have the Church of Scientology and you have all these other uh, churchologies now and variations of uh, basically they've created enough churches to where if you go to a church that preaches the word of God and they step on your toes, you can leave that church and go down the street and find you a church that preaches enough of God's word to make you feel like you saved, but enough uh, there it's void of enough of God's word so that you're comfortable in your sin. You know, we begin to see all of these things. And then he said he would lure priests and pastors. Now listen to this. And I've talked about the Catholic church, talked about this last week, but he said, I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. Now, how much of that have we seen? I mean, 1965, Paul Harvey doing a radio broadcast, look to 2024 and how much controversy with the Catholic church uh, has been with the altar boys and different things like that. Then in regular church denominations, there's been men having uh, the same thing with little boys and little girls and the misuse of money all over the place in churches ha has just been astronomical. Then he went on, he said, if I was the devil, I'd take the symbol of Easter, making an Easter or making an egg and the symbol of Christmas, a bottle. We've seen how the commercialization of Easter and Christmas 
has taken away from why we <clears throat> celebrate it. Now, I don't need you coming on here saying, well, yeah, but that's not the real day that Jesus rose from the dead and Christmas ain't the real reason that he, uh, or when he was born. Uh, no, but that's when we celebrate it and God honors it. End of discussion. You know, but we've seen how commercialized everything's got. And, you know, it's more about what can I get on Easter? What can I get on Christmas than taking the real seriousness of why we celebrate those two holidays? You know, then he went on and he said that if I were the devil, I would take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive and of the ambitious. Nobody wants to work hard anymore. Nobody wants to, you know, really get out there and, and really put their nose to the, the, the pavement and really make a living. Why? Well, the more money you make, the more taxes you pay. You know, I used to work a lot of overtime and I knew once I got over about 55 hours, once I went to 56 hours and over, it was really me making less money than before. Why? Because I've got put in a different tax bracket. So it takes it and makes people where, well, we don't want to work, you know, because the more you work, the more you got to pay. If you want to start a company, you got all these forms to fill out and all these permissions to get and licenses to get. You know, it's just they've created it to where, no, we just want to work for big corporations, you know, just become a number. And uh, it's just, you know, it's just ridiculous. Then that, towards the end, he said in, and uh, and what will you bet? I can't. I couldn't get a whole state to promote gambling as the way to get rich. And I, I looked at this. Uh, people in North Carolina this past year, 2023, spent 4.3 billion dollars. I said that right. 4.3 billion dollars in lottery tickets last year. Like me and Josh was talking. That's just lottery. That's not legalized gambling uh, for sports and all this other stuff, which is coming. Just get ready. But $4.3 in lottery tickets last year, just in our county alone, Stanley County, spent $2.5 last year in lottery tickets. And then you wonder why everybody's broke. Because <laughs> everybody's spending. And, and I hadn't seen them spend $4.3 billion on our education. Have you, Josh? Negative. That's not even relevant right now. I mean, you would think $4.3 billion, they wouldn't have to send stuff home. You got to send in notebook paper and Kleenexes and glue sticks and pen. They should be able to provide everything that these kids need. But that's a story for another time, I guess. Then he said towards the end of that, I would caution against extremes in hard work, patriotism, and moral conduct. And we see that now. Nobody wants to work hard, like I said earlier. If you're a patriot, you're deemed as a terrorist almost. And moral conduct, most people don't even know what that is now. You know, you're just, you're weird if, if you think that we should have moral conduct. Then he went on and he said, I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. The United States ranks sixth in highest divorce rates in the world, and more than 40% of Americans are in an open or non-monogamous monogamous relationship. That's where we're at right now in America. Then he went on and he said, And thus I could undress you in public, 
I could lure you into bed with diseases which there is no cure. How many people look at this younger generation and the more skin you show, the more you're willing to show uh, that the women think it's okay. You know, if they have a body, we need to show it off. That's where we're at. Paul Harvey seen it coming in 1965. There's over 21 incurable STDs or sexually transmitted diseases and over 50 million new cases each year with the largest affected age group being 15 to 24. That's in America. And then Paul Harvey closed with saying, in other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep doing what I'm doing right now. So I think, you know, it was just important. Maybe some of you may throw something in the comments. How accurate, looking back at what Paul Harvey said, how accurate is that for 2023 and 2024? And how important now by going through this do we need to understand we've got to continue to pray for this nation, pray for our school systems, pray for our children, pray for our government, that God will begin to come in and that we'll raise up a new standard, a new moral standard, a code of conduct, a way we treat each other, respect each other, and most of all, that we turn ourselves back to God, seek his face first so that we can understand how it is we need to treat each other and how we need to govern our nation. We need godly leaders. We need godly teachers. We need godly preachers. And we need godly parents raising this next generation because there's where Satan wants. He's coming after them so that he can raise a generation that says there is no God it's just a myth. Paul Harvey seen it in 1965. Guys, that's all I've got for tonight. I appreciate it. Do us a favor. Hit that like button or unlike. Either one doesn't matter. Also, grab this, share it on your social media. We're trying to grow this channel, get the gospel out to all that will listen, and know that no matter what's going on in our nation or how bad it gets, God has the final word. He gets the final say, and he is not done with us. He's not done with this nation, and he is not done with his church. Get ready, because he's coming back. But before he comes back, he's going to rain down his spirit upon all flesh, and we're going to see one of the greatest revivals that this world has ever seen. And in the words of Paul Harvey, and that's the rest of the story. Guys, we'll see you next week.